Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Hello and welcome to the Inner Huddle. I'm joined on location with Jeff and Betsy Tuffery. Um, do you have any advice to help with controlling emotions? Okay, so <laughs> this is a, firstly, a big one. I mean, it's a really general, yes, general topic. It depends. Firstly, what the emotion is. So, are, is it something we're really looking to control? So, control implies that we're maybe mm. trying to quash an emotion, which isn't always what I try and do. Sometimes you just want to teach a player how to like, recognise and deal with an emotion. And actually, it's okay to feel mm-hmm. disappointed after you've conceded a goal. But what do you do next? You're not necessarily trying to control that disappointment. But how you react to it. Yeah. Right, okay. And how you deal with it. So I think there are some ways that you'd like to control emotions. So if anxiety was becoming too high before a match for a player, yeah. for example, then I might introduce some relaxation techniques. There's, a, there's always a level that an athlete needs to be at, and I always use the example of um, a, a snooker player mm. and a weightlifter. So the level of um, aggression, if you like, that a snooker player is going to need to be in, that, the zone that they're going to yeah. need to be in is much lower than a weightlifter. So how do they control that emotion, um, and what techniques might they use? And, and relaxation, certainly for a snooker player that's maybe been listening to heavy metal before he yeah. goes out then then you look at relaxation and breathing techniques maybe um, meditation is a big thing at the moment I've done a lot of work with the Portsmouth players on um, meditation and mindfulness for sport which is a whole topic in itself yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and on the flip side a weightlifter would need to maybe heighten his arousal if you like but yeah. that's still a control of emotion he's still trying to adjust his own emotion yeah so there might be other techniques you could use for that, so you might use music in that instance. It's possibly easier with individual sports to, to make that point. Yes. But in a team sport, they've all got their own different positions, responsibilities within that team, and their own different emotion levels, yeah. wants and needs, I guess. To and likewise quite. in different situations in football. So if you're about to take a penalty, yeah. your level of excitement needs to maybe come down a little bit <laughs> in yeah. order to execute the skill. So there's... There's times in a game when a player might need to learn to control an emotion or adjust their emotion. Um, I think in terms of tips for that, there's there's lots of things players can do and there'll be some things that players prefer. Yeah. So uh, a breathing exercise might not be feasible for a free kick, for instance. They might not have the time to, to go through a breathing routine. Um, there might be visualisation coming in to play there. Yeah. So resetting routine, just yeah. to bring um, think, um, emotions back down. Gareth Southgate was big on that, wasn't he, for the penalty shootout practices and things for the World Cup. Yeah. yeah. Ronaldo always has the same run-up, doesn't he? And yeah. He sets himself. And yeah, so those pre-performance routines are yeah. really common. Um, they're, they're more difficult to initiate in football, I think, because there's less less closed, closed skill opportunities. Right. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a lot out there, and you see the different routines. Tennis players are big big on routines, bouncing the ball a certain amount of times, so yeah. how that helps them to regulate their emotions. It's very interesting. There's things like having bands and stuff that if they're feeling anxious, they can yes. pull on their bands to try and help calm them down. And yeah. I think it's the 
first thing would be to be aware of the emotion and right, okay, I get like this in this situation. How am I going to deal with that now? Mm-hmm. And if you can't deal with it yourself, then maybe look to someone like yourself to... Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure on players feeling like if they're feeling anxious, they've just got to get rid of that and, and suppress it. Yeah. And it needs to go, and that's actually stressful. Yes. I think when players learn to accept, like, actually, yeah, I do feel nervous right now, but that's okay. Yeah. And, and what can I do now to help me? I think normalising those kind of emotions in like big game, big moments in games and big game situations for players to understand that yes, you're going to feel nervous before you yeah. go out and play 90 minutes in a cup final, but that's okay. And how do you deal with that now? I always felt nerves were a good thing. I'd be worried if I wasn't nervous before I, before I did anything that I cared about. Really, yeah. I suppose it's like you say, it's just letting especially youngsters know that yeah, that's cool, that's all right, that's. Yeah. It's just your reaction to it, and that's absolutely fine. But what are you going to do about that now if exactly. it's affecting your performance? I think this one leads on from the last one a little bit. Um, I hear the term emotional intelligence used quite frequently nowadays. Can you tell me what the term means? And I've written what I think it is, but I'm no expert in this. I put, My belief is that it is an awareness of how you respond emotionally to stuff and coming up with coping strategies for those emotions. So it's very similar to what we just talked about. Yes. I might be wrong with the term, but that's what I've always thought. Emotional intelligence is not really a term I use, to be honest. Okay. Um, but more the awareness of emotion, like yeah. you say, and how, how young players particularly learn to be aware of what they're feeling and actually interpret and, and express themselves. I think we forget that side of it, the output side. Yeah. You think about how, what emotions are insular and what happens when we feel a certain way yeah. and how we make sense of that. But actually, are young players able to express their frustrations? And as much as you don't want that to manifest itself in a red card <laughs> situation, no. um, I think players being able to be honest and okay with expressing that frustration after a match and, and saying yeah. they're really disappointed that they lost and, and that kind of emotional awareness is really important and comes with a certain level of maturity Yeah. but I think encouraging that from, from an early age um, and that probably links in with the parent stuff Yeah. how are, pa- are parents encouraging their children to just be positive all the time Actually, that's a really common misconception about what I do. Am I trying to make players positive all the time? No. No. Like it, we work in sport. Things aren't roses all the time. You, it, things are important, and you know players are going to be disappointed after a big game. And actually, you, you don't want to take that away. No. I, I want a player to feel disappointed and, and hungry for the next game if they've made errors or they've lost a game. You don't want to take away that competitive edge and that natural instinct to favour winning over losing yes. so I think just the how we interpret emotions and how how children at a young age are able to do that and whether parents and coaches are allowing that to happen yeah. actually maybe asking questions you know why are you frustrated off that game what and you can dig deeper in terms of younger children particularly and establish some quite crucial things at that age so are children really disappointed because they feel like they're letting people down when they lose. Yeah. Or and you, you get to other issues that that maybe So it's trying to get cause. to the cause of the yeah. root cause of why you feel like that. And it's okay to feel like that. Yeah. And this is what we or you are gonna do about it yeah. now to help in future. That yeah, openness and honestness of I think it's quite an American term, this emotional intelligence. I think Yeah. Um, I think on C V S and things like that you've got IQ and 
AI now, and it's, it's, I've, I've heard it a few times on yeah. American what, motivational if, things. If you're frustrated, but you don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. would you advise going? I mean, that's fine. Getting a punch bag, or <laughs> I think some every player is going to have a preference. Yeah, but I think certainly with a with a young child, they need to maybe they need that cool off period, and actually linking again with the parent issue. Um, I had a lot of conversations with parents around decision-making time of scholars and actually what they should have a 48-hour cooling-off period where they initiate no discussion, where if the child wants to discuss something with them, fine, but actually they don't initiate any discussion about the decision, the yes or no, the being released or or getting a pro contract. So I think there there is a bit of common sense there that you don't want to pressurise a, a young player and say tell me everything you're feeling right now like lay it all on the table I'm, I'm 32 and if I've just lost the last thing I want to do is be asked questions or yeah. just feel like it's prodding me and poking me to yeah. explode I? Mm. and that's a really individual decision yeah. there might be players that just want to get it all out and talk about it, yeah. there might be others that actually want to forget about it and reassess tomorrow or, so I think as a coach there's, there's individual tailoring of needs I suppose yeah. in terms of like, encouraging any discussion and, and I would be very careful with players I work with I won't always initiate discussion and I'll know my players well enough to know actually little Jimmy's just been sent off there's no way he wants me to talk to him no. in the next 10 minutes or you know yeah. it's, it's about how you get the best from them but, but allowing them that time if they need it I get it it's all it's got a running theme going for it all really isn't there it's all, they all sort of mould into one yeah Right. Do you want to read this one? I've heard that visualisation is very powerful. Can you explain why and some simple processes I can try with my 10-year-old son? Okay. So explaining why visualisation is very powerful. It is probably the single most used skill of mine in terms of working with players because you get a lot of buy-in quickly. It is a physical thing they can practice. And you can see benefits quite quickly as a player if you don't use it. And it's something that you can develop to a really high level. So the reason why it works is because visualisation of any skill or routine is firing the same pathways in the brain as actually executing that skill. So if you've got a player that is working on a free kick from a certain position, then actually physical practice of that skill is obviously beneficial. Mental practice of that skill and visualising it vividly is almost just as powerful in terms of the pathways it's firing in the brain so you could use visualisation techniques with injured players who actually can't perform and they're keeping those pathways fresh and activated so there's loads of research out there on that You did a lot of this on our elite training camp didn't you? Yes I did and it helps to increase confidence one of the main sources of confidence we have is previous experience so successfully completing a skill in the past, it tells us that we're able to complete it in the future and gives us confidence. Oh, we got this. We're okay. Yeah, exactly. So that visualisation does the same thing, particularly if you're seeing yourself performing successfully, which is the way that you should use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you so ever have anyone who does it the opposite? You can't get a bad thing out of their head. Yeah, that is... Missing penalties and Yeah, which is like a that. problem because it's reinforcing that action yeah. as much as physically completing that action yes. itself. Yes. So that is... It's got raised anxiety and yeah. lack of confidence and all sorts of things. With a really advanced visualiser. So uh, there was a particular player I worked with a couple of years ago who 
was a second-year scholar, and he was really into the visualisation. He loved it. He used it as part of his pre-performance routine. And he got injured um, going up for a ball, and he couldn't get that image out of his head when he was visualising. So he was always seeing himself re-injure. Right, OK. So because he was quite advanced with visualisation techniques and his images were quite vivid, we worked on changing that image so he would see it happen, and then gradually we'd adjust the image and he'd have that much control over his visualisation that he'd be able to do that. So negative visualisation is, is not the way to do it. It effectively reinforces what we don't want to happen. But you can use it to change, change outcomes. Yeah. The only other way that I'd use it is if a team had um, performed poorly and the result hadn't gone their way and it was a bad day at the office, I might ask them to visualise the game going another way so they might see them concede the first goal, but I then want them to see themselves score the next two, for instance. Okay. So there might be a small element of negative visualisation, but generally it's always about successful performance. Yeah. And in terms of what you can try with your 10-year-old son, you can start really simply with visualisation. So closing the eyes is essential. Yep. Elite players won't always do that. So you'll see some players on the bench staring into space and they might be doing their visualisation then. But certainly with a young child, getting them to close their eyes, getting to see something really vivid and in detail, so you can talk them through a, a certain situation and ask them to imagine it in their mind. Mm-hmm. And then slowly develop that to bring in all the senses and to make I it I remember you doing it on the Elite Training Camp, it was brilliant. Yeah, and they so really bought into it. Yeah. You know, to, to start with, there's a little bit of little eye open, see if their mates are doing it. And when they realise actually everyone's doing this, they all get into it. It's, there's always that embarrassment of, I've got to close my eyes. Yeah. And and like, that, as an 18-year-old boy, yeah. leaves me vulnerable. Yeah. So there's always that As soon as you got over that first bit, they all bought into it. And, yeah. And it's very powerful. I mean, I use it a lot, but I use it quite simply with the kids. I get them to um, close their eyes and then imagine that they're their best, their favourite player and watch mm-hmm. how they move and how they react to different things. Depends what your message you're trying to get across. Exactly. And then I do it with them where I try and get them to imagine them at their best, so their best ever performance, and, yeah. which, is, again, is very powerful. And after they finish, they come out and they're, well, they're you know, they're unbeatable. I don't, do you use it in coaching terms, or have you used it yourself, Jeff? I've written two dissertations on mental imagery. I'm glad I set you oh, up wow. for that one, then. OK, well, we should be asking you the question. <laughs> yeah. It was a long Special time ago. Special guest, Jeff Bonner. <laughs> the floor is yours. Um, one I did with cricket bowling, and it was bowling into an area, and we had three groups, and the group that used mental imagery from inside their own body and their own mind, rather than as if they were imagining themselves on TV, they had the best results, even compared to the people that actually put in loads more practice than okay. them, and they didn't even bowl another ball since the first test. And I, I was blown away by it, really, because yeah, I've always thought, practice, 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 and increase your the myelin and your muscles and in, yeah. in muscle memory and all this kind of stuff and then I saw that and thought wow that is I don't know it's almost like watching Star Wars and hearing them talk about the force and yeah. midi-chlorians and that's useful in times of fatigue when yeah. actually it's not beneficial to practice anymore yes. and you cramp and then your hamstring's gone or something like that which has happened to me and you a few times in our lives, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I did it with lots. golf, and I've got no experience of playing golf, and I, I could chip a golf ball by the end of it. I can imagine it's massive in golf, where the slightest lack of confidence and slightest millimetres out in your your swings off and things. Yeah. It's a very powerful... And I think 
advice to people, have some fun with it. Experiment, yeah. play with it. It's, you know, it's not really any harm that can be done by it, I don't think. Unless, no. don't, don't try it when you're driving along, obviously. But other than that, I just... I'm not much of a reader not? or a writer of books or anything, but when you were going through it, it, it reminded me of, of someone that is good at writing books and describing the smells and the, what you can hear and all your senses you talked about. It was really takes you on a journey, and that's the important part of being good at the mental imagery, I'm guessing. Yeah. Right. Well, all agreed. Very powerful. Have some fun with it. <coughs> and um, if you're really into it, there, there must be lots of different things, just some advice you can get online and stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. There's, especially there's on a topic like this. Loads so of research. About, and, and as Jeff said, the imagining it from, from your own eyes is the most powerful way to do it. Um, normally I encourage people that have no experience to, to start with the imagining yourself on TV or imagining mm-hmm. watching yourself in the stands um, just because that's what we're familiar with doing, particularly with our role models. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really powerful means, it's a powerful tool to use, particularly if you can imagine it from your own perspective. Yeah, and safe, there's no overuse injuries going on there, is there? So, brilliant, I'm all for it. At what age should children be before parents need to start being really aware of the importance of psychology? And we've probably already answered this, haven't we? I've put as early as possible. Yeah, I think I've written all ages because you can tailor psychology appropriately for, for every age. There's no age that's, that's too young. I think some people would, would say that arguably 11-year-old, 10-year-old, 9-year-old players don't need any psychological uh, intervention, but... At the same time, you wouldn't take away their physical intervention. No. So it's, as long as it's tailored appropriately, then it's beneficial. So even with a nine-year-old player, it might be that I'm asking them questions about um, their enjoyment of the game and actually how, how do they feel when something doesn't go so well. Yeah. Um, that might be tailored totally differently with an 18-year-old player. Yes. Um, so... In answer to the question, I don't think there is any age too young. Well, I think parents should be aware from as early as possible that everything that they do, say, and act and react to things is being picked up and that they should be aware that it's every bit as important as their football development in terms of football being anything. But it's just like you say, you practice, you do everything correct physically and you know, in your practices and your football development and you make sure they're in a safe club and, you know, all of those things and that the coaches are at a certain level or whatever you're looking for. But you can't ignore the psychological part of it, even from an early age. It's, it's, I think it's more important than the actual football, as I've already put on record. Um, so you need to be aware from that, right from within football terms, right from when they, the first day they start, yeah. that everything you do is as important as how they kick the ball, in my opinion. I don't know. What, and we have loads of chats about this, don't we? But we've been doing so long, we can, we've got examples now of, of it all. Not all of it, but, you know, of, of things that parents have done which has actively held their children back or made them quit the sport mm-hmm. or given them lack of confidence. And we've already said, it's all done in the best intentions. Yeah. But... Every generation that we've had, they always make the same mistakes. And you try and tell them based on similar experiences, but most of the time there's a certain type of, normally a dad, who thinks they know better than you, don't they? And yeah. they say, oh, that's great, and they say all the right things, and then they continue to 
keep doing the things, and it's so frustrating because you know and that a child could be much better or happier, even. Than and there's always a decision made on that child by the parent, but they'll always say, "Well, it's come from them." It's, but yeah. you know, they've been had so many loaded questions that if they have yeah. been asking them questions, I always make let them make their own mind up. Is one yeah, we, you know, yeah. well, no, you don't actually do. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you just said loaded questions and and all of that kind of stuff. It's um, it's very frustrating, our job. It's the biggest frustration, isn't it, with the yeah. parents making obvious mistakes yeah. that, like I say, can, can affect their happiness and, and life confidence. Yeah. It's not, you know, I'll say it on the record, there's more important things in life than football. Yeah, and I'd say <laughs> this a lot. This is yeah. all about being rational and being realistic in, in sport. Yes, we love sport and we love yeah. the competitive element, and it is really important to us, but there are more important things. Yeah, you're actually really lucky that you're in a situation and you live in a, a world where you can go and play sport in a safe environment and yeah. competitively and enjoy something that you love doing. There are parts of the world where you can't. So putting into perspective, exactly. there are more important things in life than football. But parents seem to lose track of that a, a lot, especially when they start thinking that their child might make it. And then they think every choice has to be spot on for them to be spotted and we have to give them the opportunities to get spotted and we have to be in this league to get the scouts watching and we have to do this and oh that looks really good so we'll take them there and oh that club's supposed to be good so we'll pull them out of that and oh it's horrendous and as soon as the child gets wind of that then that's when there's potentially dangerous game being played um i think as soon as children and and maybe a, a bit of an older age at that point when they're going to an academy there's, there's a real danger of parents thinking, my child's going to make it, and that's what's the important thing. Yeah. And actually, yes, you want them to do really well and you want them to reach their potential, but as you know, it is a saturated market where there are very, very few. The odds are against every single but Parents life. seem to find, always find a way to justify their actions. Like, Someone's got to make it, or just want to give them the best chance, or the best, yeah. this word opportunity keeps coming up, and... But what happens is, from our experience, is they get uh, obsessed with the outcome. And I'm always saying, no, get obsessed with the process, mm-hmm. and then the outcome will take care of itself. Exactly. If it's going to. But get obsessed with training and doing everything, all the con- control the controllables. So you can control the effort you put in, how you react to things, the training you're doing, working at weaknesses, working at strengths. It could go on forever. Mm-hmm. You can control those, mm-hmm. how your diet psychology you know how much training you're doing all of those things you can't just take them to different leagues and different games and and hope that they're going to get spotted and be you know their talent is going to be noticed or the talent that you think your kid's got some magician's going to come along and see the same thing you do and pop them in the work like that exactly i think often at that stage that's where the enjoyment gets lost among everything else is is your child still enjoying playing football Do they still love the game? Because there's players I see at 15, 16 that, that I don't think do anymore. And they're, they're on this Massively. journey and they're, they're, they're going through the motions because that's the path they're on and that's what their parents want them to yes. do and that's what's the right route. And I think sometimes we forget and, and academies forget at times that actually you want players to make it but you want players to love football still. Yes. But there's a massive drop-off. Two things. One with players participation when they get to a certain age so 13 14 15 16 it goes from hundreds and thousands of kids playing to Mm -hmm. you know not so many it drops off 
And the other drop-off, which probably isn't as thought about as much, is less parents go and watch. So if you go and watch under 7s, 8s, 9s, 10s, packed with parents, and OK, they've got to drop the kids off at that age, so they may as well stay and watch, I get that. Mm-hmm. But they're all into it, and it's more of a fun environment, depending on which teams and stuff. But you go and watch a under-14s, under-15s games, and there can be three people watching or four and up. I find that sad because I think the parents' enjoyment's gone, and I often think with dads it's because they realise their child's not going to make it, so they think, oh, well, I'm not going to put in the driving, or they can get a lift or make their own way there now, and their enjoyment goes. And, of course, the kid's enjoyment goes. He might stay around for a bit because he likes playing with his peers and his mates or whatever. Yeah. but I, I find that really sad, and then it gets 18, and the, the dad hasn't enjoyed it or doesn't enjoy it anymore, and the kids decide doesn't want to play anymore, and you think, what was it all about? And, you know. and I think also at that age, life changes for children at 15, yeah. 16. Maybe they've got other interests at yeah. that point, and, and are parents encouraging or discouraging that? This is a conversation I sometimes have with, particularly scholars 17, 18. They're focused on... They, they've been... It's been drummed into them that they, they must focus on this path of getting a pro mm. contract and they must throw everything into it and all their efforts are applied there. And actually then I have a conversation with them in their second year of scholarship and say, okay, what are you going to do if you don't make it? Are you going to drop out of football? Are you going to have, have you got any other interests? Have you got any other hobbies? Because actually that's verging on unhealthy. Yeah, massively, I would have thought, yeah. So there's a real fine line between parents really pushing... Football, football, football. Let's let's apply all our efforts here, and let's train all the time, and, and let's watch football all the time, and let's encourage football 100% of the time. And then actually, these these boys have nowhere to go when they, yeah. when they're released. Potentially, maybe they don't go into a non-league setting. Maybe they drop out of the sport completely, and then they've got to go and find a job or another hobby. Yeah, or... it's a tough fall, isn't it? Um, exactly. It's, I find the difficult thing of it is the ones that have made it openly say and you see lots of motivational things they say they had to be that focused and I had to make these sacrifices and I didn't play any other sports and I was just focused and all that so parents and even the children latch onto that if I want to be like him I have to be this focused and but you can't all make it even if you're all that focused and make sacrifices and of course the ones that made it did have all those traits but then there was thousands and millions of others that had those traits and didn't make it, which are the ones you don't hear about or you mentally try and ignore a little bit. And I'll just focus on your Beckhams and your PLOs or wherever you're Exactly. You know, practice you're reading. hours on end. And yes. That's what's drummed into these players, that that's what they should do. And yes, there's those extraordinary individuals that are always going to come through. But there's also the players that actually you find out have a, a high interest in, in music or... Yeah. Golf, obviously, is a, a big <laughs> yeah. football combination um, for pros. So any other interests, I think, they're almost essential. I don't think we should really be pushing. They're getting better, aren't they? A, even at a younger age, what we've seen in the pro clubs we've been involved with, now it's totally different. It's, yeah, go and play as much as possible. And yeah. Even Southampton, they, they put on a night where they do other sports. Yeah. And, and let them have specific netball coaching. Netball and all sorts of different things being brought in, yeah. you know. It's and actually, you can learn from other sports. Oh, massively, so different, yeah. Different skills, different psychological skills. And if you make a footballer that's used to maybe playing in a, in a really assertive way, you go and play a controlled game of golf, maybe they don't cope in that situation, and what can they learn from that? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's things to be learned from all different sports. 
It's just it's not on here, but it's just come up. Do you get many children or young adults, I should say, um, actually say to you, do you know what, I don't like football anymore, I'm only here because I've always done it. Is it quite common? Yeah, particularly when they get to scholarship age and maybe they know they're not good enough or they just don't enjoy it anymore. And that's kind of a sad position to be in, but at the same time, easy in a way to deal with because you... They, they've already got that realisation, so they know they're going to yeah. move on. It's sad, though, isn't it? It is sad. For that investment. Particularly years. when it's an enjoyment-based yeah. thing. And I think I ask players often at that stage, uh, during that two-year scholarship process, of why, why do you want to be a footballer? And, yeah. and often that, the reasons for that are not because they love football anymore. Some of that might be, oh, because I want to make my parents proud, or... Or I want I want to make my parents financially stable. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And actually, that's not how we get our best elite players. I don't think it's I difficult think. though with with that because they're that's their own intrinsic wants. That's what they you know. That's there's no right or wrongs to it really because no. that's what they if they if that's what they're doing it for. That's what they're doing it for. So some really of that difficult. is pressurised. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, and I've seen it particularly with parents that are in lower income brackets that maybe have latched onto the fact that their son might make it and there is a little bit of pressure there of oh if you make it then we'll be all right son we'll we'll maybe we'll be financially stable yeah. and that's that's a sad outcome for me that actually a, a player that maybe has fallen out of love with the game is pushing himself to to succeed and maybe because he might let people career. down that's you know exactly is, yeah it's not um i got the feeling you were going to contribute then and i cut no, you off Jeff. sorry buddy i have a habit of doing that haven't i Without getting too depressing, it's quite a sad cycle then, isn't it? Because we've gone from parents that are taking an opportunity because they don't want their child to miss out on it to a child then towards the end of that stint at a pro club that they've taken up the opportunity that's been pushed on them, not wanting to let the parents down that wanted them to be happy with an opportunity that they felt they deserved to get. And it just... What do you do? What do you do, How do you break that cycle? Well, you, you, you get... A sports psychologist in to help help along the way. I think what you touched on earlier that we want players to make their own decisions and not yeah. just in, in in a tactical sense, but as a parent or as a coach, are we saying like, do you still enjoy playing football? Do you yeah. still want me to take you to football? Are we still leaving the element of choice with them, or are we thinking I'd quite like my son to be a footballer, or, or I want them to be really active and I want I want maybe want to encourage that. Mm. And push in that direction. Where's the where's think, the balance? I think it's important to touch base with that, with your child at points all along the way. Are you still something you want to do, especially at the start of the season? Yeah. You know, is this still something you want to do? And but again, some parents might not want them to play, or because it's cold and they don't want to get up. Are you sure you want to play today? You know, you've got yeah. to be. It's got to be very come from a very genuine place to touch base and say, is this something you still want to do? Because mm. it can be frustrating for us as well sometimes when children stop coming and say oh they're not really enjoying it anymore because you don't want to force them because that is totally wrong but if it's you've got to find out why they don't want to come why not and it's because if it's because they want to be playing Fortnite or something like that at home then it's a different to actually exactly i don't like the sport anymore so yeah. as a parent if you are touching base of it you've got to, you've got to find out the cause and the reason why and yeah. And make your own and rationalise it a little bit. Thank yeah. you. That's what I was looking for, Jeffrey. Yeah. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Love that. So yeah, it's um, it's all very interesting. You said this would be the best one, well, our favourite <laughs> one, didn't you? I like it. <laughs> 
in a huddle. From Peza Street Soccer.